Welcome to the Pod 20 and my special guests this week, Ben Ando and Victoria Mitzi from the True Crime Podcast, You Didn't Let Me Finish. You don't always look at the news for a few days, especially if you've been working in it for donkey's years. I remember you telling me that you like to have a break from news. It's true, I do. I did. I, yeah, I, do, I don't actually look You'd at You'd only the news avidly watch the 10 if you were on it. <laughs> I never avidly watch the 10. It's at the wrong time of day. What do you mean? Should they change it? Actually, no, I stopped watching the 10. <laughs> Should they make it the all, 11 for you? It was you? all blooming poli- news at when. Um, no, no, 10 o'clock is a good time of day for news, but I'm just... The thing is, nowadays, watching habits have changed, haven't they? You used to sort of watch whatever was on telly, and then at the end of it, it would finish. You'd watch news at 10, then you'd go to bed. Nowadays, you just sort of sit there watching box sets, so you don't need to... Things never end. Oh, yeah. It's like, get out of the way, news. Come on, move over, Clive Myrie. I've got to go and watch some serial killing. <laughs> Well, exactly. Uh, and, and, and happy days. I've got to say, I find I love local news, but these days I'm finding it a little weak. I shan't name any outlets. But do you know, know what I mean? you live in Plymouth. Sorry, I do live in Plymouth. Yeah, it's a lot of like cows in the road stuff. I mean, the, the, what's always... I've never really understood this. Ever since I was I was in local news myself as a radio reporter in uh, I know, Radio Trent in Nottingham. Oh, I loved working in local news. In, in, I was in Nottingham at Radio Trent and I was in Northampton at uh, Northampton 96, the hot FM. <laughs> the tepid <laughs> FM. Did you have to wear hot uh, pants to work? Big, big, big shout out to Northam- the mean streets of Northampton. Um, yeah, I, I obviously wear hot pants. I always wear leather hot pants and a leather cap. You know that. <laughs> Ben Ando and Victoria Mitzi, my special guests this week. Ben's done a lot of work for the BBC. Victoria still works for them. Now, the new boss there, Tim Davey, has said he wants all BBC presenters to be impartial, even on social media. So how will that affect BBC presenters who share their opinions on their podcasts? Find out from Ben Ando and Victoria Mitzi soon. Tom Clark Hill from the Spanner and Spoon podcast will talk about moving from Los Angeles to England's West Midlands. And the publicist Rob Goldstone will talk about the famous people he worked with in Australia, including Richard Branson. It's all happening on a show that's more frightening than the smell of the Donald Trump and the sight of the Boris Johnson. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. At number 20 this week, it's Happy Place. Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss and everything in between. At 19, two pints with Will and Ralph for nearly 10 years, Will Meller and Ralph Little were the voice of a generation, notorious for pushing the boundaries of acceptable humour on British TV. After multiple failed attempts to reunite them, the boys are finally back. At 18, you didn't let me finish. The True Crime Podcast, hosted by Ben Ando and Victoria Mitzi. Now, you've both worked for the BBC. Victoria, you're still on BBC Radio Devon. Tim Davey, who's the new boss of the Beeb, has made it pretty clear he doesn't want BBC presenters having opinions, even on social media. Does that worry you? Because your podcasts are full of strong opinions. Well, no, because we're not associated with the BBC in any way. I mean, ah, you're exactly taking the, the Gary Lineker defence. 
No, it's totally true. I mean, the BBC doesn't pay me now. I get I earn no money from the BBC. As far as I'm okay. concerned, the BBC can go f itself. I really have no interest. Uh, sorry, should I? Are we swearing <laughs> that, or not swearing? That's it? okay. Swearing you can yeah. you, you can we, swear we, for YouTube, but I'll cut it out for the radio. Don't we, worry. We, can I, I mean, reverse we, all the beeps that I put in <laughs> our content? Then? I mean, we, we we swear in the. But that's the thing. I, we swear I know you. Podcast, I know you. you know, we're adults. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's adult content. Yeah. Um, and I, I I I mean, I really enjoyed working for the BBC when I did, but it was just a job. And you know, I don't care about the BBC anything other than there's lots of people there who are really good people. I think it's a really important part of the fabric of our nation, but it doesn't control me now. And that and the whole joy of this is I can say what I do think, and I can sometimes say things perhaps that are inappropriate, or I can make observations about how people were in court that they I wouldn't have dared to say on the BBC because that might have prejudiced the trial. But now I can say that guy was a joker's defendant. He thought. You know, he was pulling the wool over Brody's eye, but everybody was just laughing at him, you know, behind their notepads and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, but Tim Davies, right. I mean, the BBC should be impartial. And I, I, there is a very strong argument to say that in recent years, some of its bigger correspondents, shall we say, or more well-known correspondents have become a, a little bit edging very close to the wind in terms of crossing that line between simply reporting what's been said and and clouding it with their own opinion and that's something that he's probably right to to call out and draw attention to i think it's a really pertinent question i think it's um it's a good question that you've asked because there is some kind of demand or scope for people to be very up to the second now especially with where we came from from news so they can't ignore it and i don't know if you if it was triggered by there was a program that um, amal rajan was doing on radio 4 fairly recently is that is was that the background to your question no it was just that? that tim david had said this and then gary lineker who's one of the highest paid presenters on the BBC basically so it doesn't affect me because I'm contracted to them I'm freelance and I just wondered whether you were worried about the, that anyone who has anything to do with the BBC being prevented in on other platforms from you know having opinions strong or partisan opinions one way or the other my, my personal opinion on it is because uh, I started out in broadcasting in commercial radio in Australia where it's a lot know, yeah, more yeah. open and when I came back to Britain because I was originally from here just seeing how this stiff BBC thing, and I always thought I don't because I don't personally care if a presenter has an opinion or even an agenda as long as I know it's like with the newspapers you know that the Daily Mirror and the Guardian are to the left and you know that the Telegraph and the Mail are to the right and as long as you know and you read it with that filter then I think that's okay. It's when you don't know and you're being conned. I think it, uh, for me, if the BBC basically said, you know, because I spoke to I spoke to Anna Smith on this program who does the film review, and I said and asked her a similar question. It was before the Tim Davy thing. I said, you know, you're not supposed to have an opinion. How can you review a film if you're not supposed to have an opinion? Because it right. is just your opinion on whether you think the film's any good. And she said, well, because she's seen as a as almost as a guest, and I don't know if she is seen as a guest by the viewer. I think the guest thinks she's a BBC presenter telling you this is a good film or not. I don't know, but. I, I don't think people can be impartial. I think everybody's got, exactly. from, from their life experience, has got some kind of view. Why they should be forced to hide that, I think as long as it's open and someone says, look, I'm a card-carrying communist or whatever they are, as long as you know, yeah. I don't see the harm in it. But 
Well, I'm, I, I'm in a very small minority. Most people like to think that the BBC is impartial. And the BBC as an organisation should be impartial. But if you're trying to, to get human connection, which I think is the best kind of broadcasting, and it's what podcasting has become, and it's a, a huge hole that podcasting has filled. It's got like, hey, I, I you know, I mightn't agree with what people say, but it's great just to know that, because that's what, you have friends and acquaintances who you don't agree with, but you like hanging out with them because they're just interesting. Even even if you don't agree with anything they say well, that's and i just the whole point just of interaction wonder. isn't it really yeah yeah so anyway i don't i don't know what so. i'm trying to say but i just wondered what your opinion was on that uh, on on whether well th- i haven't been i haven't been reprimanded and um, and i don't know if you listened to the episode where um where i did a big shout out to all the managers i found out were listening so. <laughs> <laughs> we're still alive i'm still going so yeah so it, wow. it shouldn't really you're not really worried about that about this this no, this this new say, focus on impartiality that Tim Davy has brought to the organisation. Well, yes, exactly, and and <laughs> and um, and also Ben and I have been around long enough to um, to know where we stand legally, so we do stay within yeah. those parameters. I did apologise to them for the swearing when they told me that they listened. So uh, yeah, I covered myself, I think. I mean, but it's Ben's a big swearing. question. It's a big question that you asked there. I mean, and there's. There's areas, so there's different sorts of impartiality as well. So we've got political impartiality, and this is where, say, the political editor of the BBC is reporting on what both Labour and Conservatives are saying, and in theory is is is, is has herself not clouding it with her opinions and her views and her interpretations. Um, there is analysis, and analysis, of course, is where you seek to pick apart what somebody has told you either on camera or off camera, but then it's inevitable that when you are interpreting what somebody says, there is going to be um, a suggestion that you are interpreting in a way that suits your own worldview. Yeah. Then there's impartiality in what we're talking about around court cases, around crimes, around legality, where, yes, I suppose... We, we would say we're broadly impartial, but at the same time, I think any court reporting, whether BBC, ITV or, or in Australia or wherever, most of it would come from the point of view that um, crime is wrong, that killing people is wrong, and that the justice system, broadly speaking, is there to bring people to book. And so, strictly speaking, it's not at all impartial court reporting, because it very much takes the view that this these things are crimes, they are wrong, um, and, and jailing people or punishing them or you know um dealing with them however the court deals with them and it may find them innocent of course is right so so that's actually not impartial at all but it's set against the accepted standards and customs of of civilized society and of course you're covered by a privilege to be able to report the details within the case so you know that's an important aspect of being a journalist yeah absolutely okay coming up i want to find out why your podcast which is often about violent crimes has such jolly music this is the pod 20 the definitive countdown of the top 20 podcasts right now and at number 17 the mindset mentor the podcast for you if you need motivation direction and focus in life At 16, Football Weekly from The Guardian, a dose of puns, punditry, news and analysis from the Premier League and beyond. At 15, Spanner and Spoon featuring Tom Clark. Tom, before she met you, your wife always wanted to live in America, so she went there from the UK, she met you, she married you and you lived together in Los Angeles. How did it go down with her when you said you wanted to move to the UK? 
she wasn't too excited about the idea, man. And then, uh, and but then when we got over here, uh, work-wise, my my, I thought it was more expensive to live here than what I was used to over there. But uh, I ended up making twice as much and doing a lot more artistic stuff. You know, I got I got to get play with uh, some jazz superstars that I wouldn't have got the call for if I was in L.A. because there would have been some better guys in front of me. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of um, thing where they say, uh, you know, they'd say Tom Hill, bass, USA, like that's going to make right. me play any better than a British guy. <laughs> yeah, but it that, does sound that's, impressive. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like this Holy Grail stuff, you know. But I, I love I love that about England. I love the fact that they um, they honor jazz as an American art form. Yeah. You know, and and um, we're over there. It's like everybody's, you know, they. Oh yeah, jazz, blues, whatever you know, and and some people will be trying to get their own thing going all the time. You know, I have yeah. to have some sort of original, and and there's something to be said about that too. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of the blues, and I've been to the U.S. a few times, and I went to to Chess Studios in Chicago, and it's it's not really there anymore. And there's there's a foundation there; they're helping kids, but. You know, in Chicago, the blues isn't what it was. I went to Buddy Guy's Legends Club, and it was it was all white people. You know, it wasn't like I was wanting it to be the authentic thing, and it's not there. Yeah. And the biggest disappointment was we went on a road trip, and we were in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is the birthplace of Willie Dixon, who wrote right. Hoochie Coochie Man, and yeah. you know all those those great old blues songs for Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, and we went to the tourist center and I went into the tourist center and I said, uh, what have you got here that's, you know, to do with Willie Dixon? And the lady went, who? And I went, oh, no, I went, Willie Dixon. He's probably the most important, one of the most important people to come out of this town. And she now I could understand somebody who just worked in a shoe shop or something, but somebody who worked in the in the tourist center meeting tourists had never even heard of Willie Dixon. And yeah. she said, oh, let me show you the brochure for the Civil War Museum. And I went, I don't want to go to the Civil War. I said, didn't you, didn't you lose that? Didn't the South lose the Civil War? Yeah. And, and I, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Whereas in, in, in London, there's still a big thing for, you know, particularly for blues, you know, was yeah. that it just didn't seem to be in, in where it came yeah. from. And I bet jazz is exactly the same thing. So I yeah. get what you're talking about. With the, the yeah, respect I mean, before, for it as an art form. Before um, Giuliani came in in New York City with the zero tolerance thing, and when it was like really really dangerous to go down to the East Village and then even into Harlem, um, I would hear stories of English people going like, "Oh, we want to go down to Harlem to the Apollo or something like that," and they'd get down there and somebody go, "What you doing down here, honky?" Like, <laughs> you know, and, and they go, "Oh, we want to see the museum." Oh, you ain't. You're from England? Okay, it's down here. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> it was like immunity because you know it was it wasn't as polarized as everything's getting now, man. It's, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. But yeah, and and um, I love all the uh, the stuff about. I mean, the fact that that I was actually introduced to the blues by English bands. You know, the Stones. It was probably. Led Zeppelin, yeah. Led Zeppelin, and actually Cream, yeah. and Led Zeppelin, yeah, and then Jimi Hendrix, yeah, you know, who was American, but. He, he had to come over to England to get to, to get seen and heard. That That's right. When Chas Chandler picked him up and yeah. brought him over. Yeah. But then then you hear um, and there was a, a thing on uh, British blues and B.B. King was on there and he said, uh, 
you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for guys like Eric Clapton and and uh, all of these these you know the Rolling Stones and all these people that that resurrected you know what I do you know and made yeah. it so that you know yeah it, it got appreciated. Yeah, it is just amazing how at the time in, in the sixties there it spoke to kids who had kids who'd ne never picked cotton <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean it yeah, spoke yeah, yeah. it spoke to them in some way this this uh and not even working class kids with the blues it was like <laughs> the stones were like all university and art school and and all yeah. the rest of it just but it just spoke to them and uh just amazing how that all happened tom clark hill who features on the Spanner and Spoon podcast which is at number 15 this week and next week i'll talk to tom about his battle with alcohol number 14 this week is the happiness lab with dr laura santos you might think you know what it takes to lead a happier life well you're dead wrong at number 13 and that's why we drink chilling ghost stories and terrifying true crime stories the world is a scary place at 12 maybe baby with kate lawler to breed or not to breed this is the podcast for the parentally undecided. My guests this week are Ben Ando and Victoria Mitzi. Now, you host the true crime podcast You Didn't Let Me Finish, and you deal with some pretty violent and gruesome crimes. Why did you choose such uplifting music? For your reaction, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> it worked! Was, was it deliberate? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that the, the, music is in, the music is entirely down to Victoria because when we first did the first podcast, we recorded it together and then she went away, did all the editing, did all the post production, and I listened to it and I just loved it. And I immediately said, I just love that music. It's so incongruous. It's so completely out of keeping with what you expect. And, and that is exactly it. And I particularly love it when you get the occasional stings halfway through. Yep. So we'll finish with one gruesome, macabre topic. <laughs> There'll be a little bit of a ding, 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 ding. And then we'll come into another gruesome, and macabre topic. Ben likes topic. to sing it. That's the other I do reason. like to sing it. I hum it to myself. It's pitiful, it I know. singing since you left the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite understand. Yeah. It's going swearing and singing. <laughs> I think I'm sweary singing. So take me oh, through the process because you seem to do all the tech things, Victoria, and Ben, what you just show up and, and talk. Is that is that pretty much? Yeah, I mean, and, and are you in the same room or, or is it done in this kind of way? Uh, yeah, yes, I mean, we haven't I mean, seen each other, Graham, no. for for how long now? Long time. We just see each other. We we don't really do. If we um, see each other, it's a mistake and. <laughs> Sort of, years, ben will pop up in his underpants and I'll go <laughs> switch it off <laughs> no I mean Joke. so so I, I live in Cambridgeshire which is where I am now in my house in Cambridgeshire Victoria's down in Devon um, for personal reasons she moved down there about what a year and a bit ago now is it before that you were in London yes it's, it's about a year now yeah so um, and I've been up here for I've, I've lived in Cambridgeshire for years and years I used to commute into London and we'd occasionally see each other on stories or whatever um, and then I haven't actually seen you. Um, well, because I was living in London, we, when you yeah. were at work, we'd um, occasionally eat burritos. Yeah, yeah that that's was what it. we did. We we had a burrito. Where where are you, Graham? Whereabouts are you based? Podcast radio is in London, but I'm in Hitchin in Hertfordshire, about oh, yeah. thirty five oh, no, miles north. Down the road yeah. from me, because I'm up in yeah. Huntingdon. Where are you? Huntingdon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not away. that yeah. far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. far away from everyone here. Yes, you are. Devon <laughs> is a long way from everywhere. What was I that know. decision? Why, why'd you move down there? Oh, I mean, it's a lovely part of the world. Job. Oh, I see. BBC yes. Devon. 
Yeah. I came here for that, yes. And um, and then lockdown happened. And I was sort of on the verge because my contract ended of coming back. And then I thought, I'm not coming back <laughs> for now. I'll see yeah. what I'm doing. I'll, I'll just, you know, children are sort of... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's family reasons, really, isn't it? Stuff, I mean, you yeah. know, your, your daughter's sort of settled there and it's a really nice place for her to live compared to um, London. So it's would you prefer to do it together in the same room if you could? <laughs> well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ben, there's an innuendo I didn't find. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be fun, and I think, I mean, you know, you, you, it's worked okay so far because it's entirely audio, and we can just listen to each other. And and you know, Victoria and I have both worked in radio for years and years and years, so we're used to just being on the end of a microphone talking to somebody that you're not in the same room as. In the context of this. I think it might add an extra dimension if we were in the same room, but it's just impossible at the moment for all we sorts of reasons. We should outline the fact it was designed to be a lockdown podcast, and we both yeah. sort of... It was literally something that was cooked up over a coffee, and yeah. um, I, I know everyone makes it sound flippant, but unfortunately, you can probably tell it really was so sort of impromptu. And then we've ended up going because um, we've had more of a... Um, response a good response than we could have imagined really so uh, yeah it's nice that something works by surprise in this business as well podcasts are really good for that i think yeah i didn't know much about podcasts when we started victoria knew a lot don't. more <laughs> i still don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But no, Victoria knew a lot more about it than me, than i did and she was she's always been really hot on um you know the actual technical side of things as you as you identified you know she's the one who does all the technical oh, really side hot i can work. do you pretend not to be able to edit so you don't have to do it that's it really <laughs> no, but, <you're laughs> also, no, but, no, but come on stuff, you've been you, you know you've you've been far more attuned into the social media aspect of it the cross promotion all that kind of stuff you know we, so we you know we end up we we did an interview with another podcaster um uh, a few weeks ago and, and I think that was entirely down to you in, you sort of engaging with her on social media and, and sort of forming a relationship. I am a, a massive podcast listener I don't know I don't know if you are Graham is that you know what when I was uh, pre-lockdown when I was commuting into London every day because oh, I used to be in charge at fixed radio particularly on the way home at the end of the day I would love listening to, to different things but since lockdown has been on I have to go out of my way to listen to podcasts unless I go for a walk um, because I'm just not on the commute anymore which is why i decided when when podcast radio asked me to do this show which is also a podcast as well as being on the air i decided to video all of the interviews and put them on youtube because i figure people have got more time to sit and actually watch video now it's an interesting as well. one so I, i'm yes. trying to cover both sides yeah so yeah but i don't listen to as many as uh, as i used to i used to, i used to virtually never miss uh, Penn Gillette's Penn Sunday School Penn Gillette from the magicians Penn and Teller always had oh. you know interest in oh, and he's no, very opinionated I didn't know about that. oh he's listen. a very opinionated atheist uh, vegan now and it's it's great wow. to listen to yeah are they the Vegas uh, yeah in Las Vegas outfit. yeah Penn and Teller yeah. Are they the ones with the tigers? No. No, you're thinking of Siegfried and Fried and Roy, Siegfried and which, Roy. which went horribly wrong because one of them, either Siegfried or Roy, got almost eaten by one of the tigers, didn't they? Oh, so yes, that, I heard. that put a dampener on the act a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't do video for a while. Now, Penn and Teller were the ones that used to show you how they did their tricks. 
Oh, fantastic! Actually, I'll listen to that. Yeah. Um, you're not, so you're not listening? Has it gone by the wayside? You're not. What I do now? I'm fussier now. It's you know, like I used to listen to everyone. Now I look at see what, and I do the same with say Mark Maron. I only listen if I if I fancy the. Whereas before, I'd I'd see that a guest's name, someone I'd never heard of, usually American something or other and I listen just because they're interesting people but now I'm, I'm f- because I don't listen to as much I'm fussy I go oh no I've not heard of them skip skip oh oh, oh okay he's yes. got he's got uh, Jim Carrey on okay I'll listen to that yes. so yeah I do I've listen got, to them but not as much how to listen in bits and pieces how do you do it that it doesn't take so much time I, I'll listen to the intro I'll skip a bit then I'll listen to a bit more if it's good you know I'm, I'm kind of as you say I've got a short sort of slightly short a t- uh, fuse with it i just give it a burst yeah and sometimes i know if the sound quality is bad i've got to say this on you know podcast radio that you i don't understand there are so many podcasts which are doing well which is great their content is great but i just can't stand the crackly sounding like they're in a echoey box i mean yeah it doesn't take you know you've got some lovely cladding behind you there <laughs> <laughs> you know it doesn't take much to put a few rugs around the place yeah 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 so So, stuff like that gets to me what podcasts are you listening to then oh true crime right um because it's going through the roof and i'm so it's uh, part of the reason that um it was sort of proposed is that i went out there and sort of researched it and came back to ben after that initial coffee um and saw that there was i mean the content is is but it's the sort of excitement and the chilling nature of it um, and the so, puzzle and how they tried to get away with it and it exactly. is yeah and there are so many crimes out there yes <laughs> you know you're not stuck are you especially lockdown what did you call it ben the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> you know if you want to get rid of what was it if if you want to get rid of um a body during lockdown then oh, well. uh, this yeah. it it may be a uh, covid may have been a godsend for you i'm quote <laughs> i'm quoting ando that I was mean, kind so, of that first idea wasn't it really yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Well, i know one. you you got right into the swing of things so in oh, in yeah. in long answer form um i'm listening to the the greats I, I should probably give the um the smaller podcasts a bit more of a mention but if you just type crude true crime in then uh the people who've been so they've also been really supportive and there's a whole podcast community that we've been sucked into and now we're very much hopefully a part of but you know um, malice is is one of the the biggies um and reverie true crime as well she's uh they're they're both in the states those two so there's a lot in the states there is a lot in the states but Lady Justice, who we spoke to the yeah. other day, um, yeah. they'll be they'll be very pleased for all this. But but then I feel I feel equally bad for the people that I dip in and out of who who are smaller. And there are literally hundreds that I'll I'll listen to a few seconds and then go back a week later, or I'll see them on social media or speak to them. And um, do you do you find yourselves covering the same crimes that they did? That's an interesting question. They, uh, the Americans, uh, obviously favour, generally favour American crimes, unless it's Yorkshire Ripper or something like that. And yeah. we've stayed away from that because we, our time, our, the timing of the cases that Ben and I have, have covered or been around, um, will be slightly different timing from the old, old Goldies, you know, old I mean, the, Goldie the, criminals. One of the one of the first cases I worked on 
sort of any depth at all was Fred and Rosemary West, and we talked about that. Yeah, and we talked about one subsequently. I mean, we're not saying we would never go on and talk about some of these older cases just from a historical perspective, but you know, for the first twenty-four odd weeks of the podcast, it's largely been around our own direct experiences, cases that we have worked on, or cases that are in the news now that uh, that we respond to. That's worked out well. We just did a change of flavour, and so, for example, our latest one, we're talking about um, the Birmingham violence. I mean, we, we're obviously careful about it, but we just we thought it was too big an event. Yeah, everybody's talk talking about, about it. But yeah. we we took an angle on it. So. Okay. That's how Funnily enough, it's it. the same angle that today was taking this morning as well, bizarrely. Um, well, so well, what, they the predicted yeah. lockdown violence? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they, they actually had somebody on saying uh, that um, it, this might be the first manifestation of um, sort of lockdown frustration where people just lose it. Um, a bit sort of a kind of Michael Douglas falling down moment. You know, I just, um, you know, you, you push people so, so, to a point where they just, that's it. They've had enough. Frustration's built up. I can't take any more. Yeah. And they go bonkers. And this somebody was talking quite, you know, um, credibly about that this morning, and this is what, and that's what, that was our theory. That was what we were talking about um, the last couple of weeks about. We did today, yesterday. <laughs> yes, we did two today, yesterday. <laughs> oh, you there's, there's your uh, your press release heading there straight yeah, away. We, we did, did today, today yesterday. yesterday. You're yeah. going to hear Ben tapping good. away on the keyboard in a minute. Absolutely. <laughs> It's the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack with the ultimate countdown of the top 20 podcasts. At number 11, Off the Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Comedians Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to each choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. At 10, Lore, Mysterious Creatures, Tragic Events and unusual places that fill the pages of history because sometimes the truth is more frightening than fiction. At number nine, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, from Comedy Central's Podcast Network. At eight, An Englishman Inn, from Rob Goldstone. Now, Rob, when you worked for a radio station in Australia, you found yourself on tour with Michael Jackson. Was it after that experience that you decided to become a publicist? I can't go back to covering, <laughs> like, you know, Warunga Council. I just can't. <laughs> For the second time in my life, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm moving on. I'm now a publicist, whatever that means. And I joined forces with, with the, the, the lady who'd been Michael's Australian publicist. And over the years, we did some pretty great things. We, we represented Richard Branson and... Peter Morton, who owns Hard Rock Cafes. I launched HMV over there, the music chain. And we did, I don't know, Cindy Lauper and B.B. King and James Taylor and Bross. Oh, my God. I launched Bross. Remember that band? Yeah. A band who the, I always remember this. I said to the promoter, they won't get in their limos because they're black. And they said, celebrities only travel in white limos. And I always remember this. And he said, why don't you tell them that that limo will last longer than them? <laughs> I that was um, but yes, yeah, so we did all of that. It was all great, and um, and I became a publicist overnight. There you go. I'm now a publicist for years. Who was your favourite person to work with during that time? To work with, so to meet and to work with was probably Michael Jackson. To work with would be Richard Branson because, yeah. in the same way as Michael Jackson was a genius and not of this world. Richard Branson had an element of that. He was someone who literally, if you said, you know what, you want to make the front page tomorrow, why don't I push you off a cliff? 
he'd be like that's an amazing idea like can we get two cameras there instead of three so he understood how pr worked he understood how the media worked brilliantly and he was fearless almost in a scary way i mean i write in my book that i saved his life he would have electrocuted himself and died if we'd done the original plan that he had to to launch himself and virgin megastores in australia we actually switched it at the last minute and uh, he ended up in his pilot's outfit water skiing up sydney harbour and then proceeded to throw in most of the tv presents in australia into the harbour which is quite odd and we made the front page but he's brilliant like that i remember uh, getting him knighted by a lookalike of the queen in melbourne and having a full royal procession down the streets of melbourne he loved it and i remember him saying to me because i would never get knighted in real life thank you sir richard branson as you are now i did it 20 years earlier but yes so he was great and you how did you nearly kill him though what what happened there so or, he, or how did you save his life? So he planned, he was launching Virgin Megastores there and a monorail had been built in Sydney that would lead directly into Darling Harbour where his uh, Virgin Megastore was. And we had this idea that he would abseil, because that was his new fad, he would abseil down a building. It was actually Centre Point Tower, because you know Australia quite well. Yeah, yeah, he would yeah. abseil down Centre Point Tower and land on the monorail, and then a bit like Spider-Man would clamber on it and end up at the Virgin Megastore. That was a brilliant idea until the day before I called somebody at Sydney City Council and said, although this monorail isn't operational, is it electrified? They said, yes. So I said, if someone was to abseil onto it, they said, well, A, they'd be arrested, but we could deal with that. But B, they'd be dead. And I was like, oh, there you go. So when I told him, he was very disappointed, but immediately came up and said, let's do something on the harbor. Let blah, 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 blah. And then because he has that kind of brain, within a few hours, he knows what he's doing again. And as I say, that's very rare, very rare that people behave like that. And he's one of those. And um yeah, it, it is who he is. Like, I, I honestly believe if I'd said to him, he's also like a sponge. So he takes in what people say. If I'd said to him, oh, hey, Richard, you know, people eat, um, what, rocks off the beach in Sydney. I guarantee he would have gone, we should do Virgin Rocks. <laughs> like, he was one of those people that no matter, he would always give it a go to think about it, have someone. I never heard him ever say, oh, that's a horrible idea. He was m much more welcoming of ideas. So he was probably, just because he was fun, he was probably one of my favorite. And he wrote me a letter that said that was the most amazing launch I've ever had. So I thought, oh, there you go, right. So there. Because he's been involved in some big launches too, to come from him, yeah. Yeah, and it's a long time ago. This is like 1980, whatever, it's seven, eight, I don't know, something like that, so... Yeah, it's Rob Goldstone. The podcast is called An Englishman In. It's at number eight this week. Rob will be back next week to talk about touring Australia with Michael Jackson. At number seven this week, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. At number six, the Joe Rogan Experience. Joe's latest guests are Special Forces combat veterans turned entrepreneurs, Matt Best and Evan Hafer. Into the top five now, and at five, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Daubner, the co-author of the Freakonomics books. At four, Americast from the BBC. How much confidence can we have in what we're being told about the president's health? At three, last week's number one, Shagged, Married, Annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. Number two, Chris Evans. 
how to wow. A gold mine of inspiration, wisdom and experience harvested from the minds, hearts and spirits of dynamic, maverick and high-achieving individuals. Chris's latest guest is Rod Stewart. Which brings us to the top of the chart. And straight in at number one. The Fault Line. Bush, Blair and Iraq. On September the 11th, 2001, President George W. Bush made a call to Tony Blair. 18 months later, Bush and Blair led a coalition into a war that went horribly wrong. David Dimbleby takes us back to those crucial 18 months, talking to prime ministers, politicians, spies and weapons inspectors. The Fault Line. It's the number one podcast this week on the Pod 20. And that's it for episode 24 of the show. Thanks to this week's guests, Ben Ando, Victoria Mitzi, Tom Clark Hill and Rob Goldstone. If you'd like to watch extended video chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week's guest is the entrepreneur Simon Squibb. Simon, you left school at 15 with no qualifications. There are a surprising number of very successful entrepreneurs who have a lack of formal education. Why do you think that is? Well, I guess uh, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I personally, even today, think that school does not teach the skills of the real world and they don't teach you business. Very, and certainly, you know, even in business school, I think they, they teach you um, to look at history but they don't teach you what's coming and so I think the that for me school always never performed it, and I never really felt challenged in school I never really enjoyed it and I always felt like and I still feel like this today it's it's a memorization system if you if you can read a book and remember it for the test the following day you'd do well in school but I, I never really liked just remembering pointless information that I you know, could get elsewhere easily these days from Google for example why do I need to remember things that I can just tap my fingers on the screen and get the information i like to learn the eq pieces the the human interaction the, the sales interaction looking at someone in the eye and figuring out you know what will make them say yes you know that that was interesting to me and i think school didn't teach you how to negotiate school didn't teach you how to price out a service or, or how to market yourself and your company and so that's the that's the stuff i really enjoyed and and i always felt like school didn't offer that i didn't really realize that school didn't offer that until i left school and it wasn't until i actually needed to earn a living i realized the skills i actually needed weren't remembering every capital in the world but you know how to uh, how to actually uh, convince someone that you're trustworthy enough to to give them a deposit to build a to go out and clean their garden for them later so that was the hard thing and school never taught me that but i was absolutely um hooked the first week of being an entrepreneur in, in the whole like process of building something from nothing that's in your head in reality. Simon Squibb, my special guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast chart next week? Will the fault line stay at number one? Or will Chris Evans make a push for the top? Maybe your favourite podcast will be at the top of the charts. Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at the podcast radio .co.uk Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. 
The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.